this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. We've been in a series about offense. And I was in Buffalo studying and letting the Lord minister to me and said, Lord, why would, the, why would, you, why would you take us here? I don't know, maybe you don't think the pastors ask that question, but like, why in the world would we go here? And I told you about the testimonies of people that have allowed the Lord to deal with their offenses and things that have happened. I've told you I've gotten a lot of phone calls. Many of them are private. You can't share that stuff. And, and I was like, Lord, so obviously you're moving. Obviously things are happening at the summit because we're talking about this topic. And I said, so where do you want to go next? And uh, so I ask you this morning to open your heart to a topic that if I told you the title of the sermon, you'd get up and leave. I believe that the Lord wants to create in this place a people who are unoffendable, who are powerful, who are prophetic, who are dreamers of the kingdom of God. And he said, well, if that's your desire, that's my desire. And I said, then what do we need to do? Where do we need to go to prepare ourselves to implement that vision in this place? And so we know in Mark 4, 16, it talks about the soil. And we've talked about the soil of our heart. And over the last few weeks, we've gone through all that and I hope that you've gone back and listened to them that you've studied that you've one of the things that I got in Buffalo is that I'm not going to be able to compromise who I am no matter who I'm in front of and I've done that We are called in this hour to lead a revival, to be the watchman on the wall, and to not be comfortable. And under the insecurity of humanity, I have sacrificed my call to make you comfortable. And I'm not doing it anymore. So I know that will cost something. I'm not, I'm not naive. I know it will cost something. I hope it's not you. I don't know what it will cost, but I cannot, I cannot sacrifice what I'm called to do, what I'm anointed to do, to make people comfortable. Because I do believe the problem with the American church is that we're comfortable. 
And much of that comfort comes because of a thing called nursing offenses. And so we have a culture in which we are totally confronted every single day with things that we can be offended about. And so we receive that hurt. And just to clarify, if you've been in four weeks and I haven't said this specifically, I I know I did in week one, but I don't know that I did any other week. No one can offend you. No one. No one can offend you. They can do something that's offensive, but for it to offend you, you have to pick it up and own it. Are we clear on that? So if you're sitting in the house and you're offended, it's not because of the other person, it's because you picked it up. And so what we do is we pick up the offense and then we nurse it. Oh, I have the right to be offended. None of you have ever said that. And then we talk about it to ourselves over and over and over to convince ourselves that we're right, that we could be offended. You're already on the wrong path at that point. But then as we talked about last week, the most toxic part of it is that we begin to share that with other people. And then they become offended at something they never even heard. They never even saw, they never even experienced, but they're offended at that person. And I'm telling you, God wants to reverse that in your life. He wants to reverse that curse of offense. He wants to take it off of you. Believe me, when I was writing this part, I was excited too, and then I got to step two. (laughs) Now, turn with me to Philippians 1. I've got a ton of scriptures, so please get your notes out. Um, We are gonna, we're gonna zip through scripture, but I... I am convicted in my own life after sitting through a bunch of sermons this week and a bunch of ministry time and hearing the Lord so clearly. I've been so convicted that many times I go to services and I hear truth and I get a nugget of truth that changes me for the moment, but because I don't go back and study it, and I'm not talking about rereading scripture, I'm talking about studying it and letting it get in me, that I miss the greater thing he wanted to do because I only took the surface thing that he wanted to do. So please write these down. But in Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, it says this. Now, now we know that Paul wrote these books to these churches, and he had specific things that he prayed about each church. Now, I am convinced that if we begin to pray what Paul prayed, we would see his results. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. I believe that if we pray what Paul prayed, we would start to see some different results in our lives. So I'm gonna read what he prayed over this church. And I want, to, I want it to sink into you, okay? Verse nine, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Is this an hour in which you need more knowledge and discernment? Woo, let's begin to pray that over this house. Amen, verse 10 that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He's praying over a church and he says that you would be without offense and that you would be fruitful, and that righteousness would abound in your life, that you would see a right living come upon you, that you would be able to discern the times, you'd be able to have wisdom, 
but only if you're without offense. That's the key, everybody. That's the key. And we've talked about it for a few weeks. We can be offended with our spouse. We can be offended with our church. We can be offended with the pastor. That's the popular one. We can be offended with our workplace. We can be offended with our politicians. We can be offended with our government. We can be offended with other countries. We can be offended with people we've never even met and we've just been told they're bad. We have the opportunity to pick that offense up. And so as I was meditating this week, I, I just, I said, Lord, all of that stuff, we've had people work through that and I've been working with you and it's awesome and I'm happy to do that. But I said, I don't feel like we have hit the mark that will unlock the full potential of the summit. And I said, I, I know all the stuff that, that it takes. I've read the books. But what I know is that what we think takes a process, he can do in a second. So I'm believing this morning that when we get to this moment of decision, that your process that you've made up in your own mind about what this looks like will disappear and only his supernatural power will invade your life. You know, it's not hard to love God when you understand who he is. It's just hard to love his peeps because we're all broken in some way. That's the tough one, everybody. It's not hard to love God who sacrificed everything, created everything, and then sacrificed it for you. It's not hard to love him. It's hard to love his people, but we must be sure. We must be sure that we guard our heart because even the greatest person who is the most lovable person that you know can be offensive to you. And if you pick up that offense, you can become impotent. And so I was sitting with the Lord and he gave me two stories for you this morning. Paul, the guy who we get most of the New Testament from, the one who prayed these radical prayers about not being offended. Can you imagine being a religious person in that time and Paul says, yeah, you're gonna be able to do all this stuff, just don't be offended. I'm not offended. Turn with me to Acts 24. Why would Paul say this? Verse 10, I'm going to start in verse 10. I'm going to read a little bit. I've got a focus point that I want to get to, but I want to read a little bit. I want you to think about this man. I want you to think about who he is. I want you to think about what he's accomplished, who he's walked with, and he stands before Felix and he's been accused and he stands before this man and he's defending himself and this is what it says then Paul after the governor had nodded to speak answered inasmuch as I know you have been for many years a judge of this nation I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting a crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, 
that according to the way, capitalized, Jesus, according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and of the prophets. I didn't do anything they're accusing me of, but the one thing I will say I am is a follower of Jesus. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Verse 16, mark it in your Bible. This being so, what does that mean? If we're grammar people, it's saying all the things that I just said to you, Felix, the governor, that I'm defending myself of, all of that being so, there's one more important thing. There's one more important thing. And it says this, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. This man who has accomplished such great things, who's done great things, who's been healed and delivered and set free by Jesus is defending himself and he says, listen, all the things I just defended myself about, that is all good and well, but I have to work on myself every single day that I'm not offended at God and at you. Because I know that if I'm offended at God and if I'm offended at you, all the other things that I just described to myself that I'm defending myself about, all of that means nothing. It means nothing if I'm offended at God or offended at men. So Paul, in a tough spot, right? In a tough spot, says, listen, I have to guard my heart every single day that I'm not offended at God for where I am and that I'm not offended at you for what you're doing. I think that that is one of the most amazing things that we need to adopt in the church. That even in the toughest spots, no matter what we've accomplished, that we do our due diligence and our hard work to remain unoffendable. Unoffendable with those who accuse us. Unoffendable with those who lie about us. Unoffendable with those who make choices that are directly in contradiction to what we believe and what the scriptures say. So he's standing in front of a governor filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit tells him, you gotta guard your heart. You gotta guard your heart. Are you disciplining yourself to guard your heart to not be offended with man and with God? I believe that Paul's example in this scripture gives us a picture that the man who wrote a lot of the New Testament had to recognize every single day that he could be offended with the one who created him, with the one who pulled him out of darkness into marvelous light, that he could be offended with God. There's one other person in scripture that got into a tough spot and really I think we need to examine it because I believe it's where some of you are this morning. Turn with me to Matthew 11. There's only 20 more, so we're in. Now, this story is about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was said of that he was a righteous man, a godly man, dressed a little weird, ate a little weird stuff. But according to Matthew 11, when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, 
he said there was nobody greater than John the Baptist. Now, you can interpret that and say that he was the greatest, but I'm just going to stick with what Jesus said. There's no one greater. There might have been. We got lots of other people in the Old Testament. They might have all been the same greatness. I don't know. But no one was greater than him. There could have been a tie at the top. But here's what I want to share with you this morning. In Matthew 11, it says this. Verse one, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from them there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we need to look for another? Now, John the Baptist is in prison, soon to be no longer on the planet. And he says, now, just picture this, guys. Like, picture this, everybody. The man who called out Jesus and led the way for Jesus is now sitting in a tough spot. And he's questioning everything that he's done in his past. Did I really do the right thing? Did I really do? Is he the one? I gave my whole life for this. Is this the real deal? And Jesus answered and said, go and tell John the things that which you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So I love Jesus. He never like changes, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what does he say? Okay, he has a relationship with John. He could have given like this great, statement of love toward John the Baptist. And it would have been well appreciated, I'm sure. But what do you do? Go tell him scripture. Go tell him the word. Go tell him that everything that he has seen is proof that I am who I am. But he doesn't leave it there. That would have been enough for John. But this is what he says next. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus, Jesus says to him, blessed are you if you're not offended in me. John the Baptist, Paul, all of them could have been offended at God. Even though they're the people that we look to in the scriptures all the time. Now, why was John in prison? Do you remember that whole story? Matthew 14. This is a recap of what happened prior. But at the time Herod the Tetrarch heard a report about Jesus and said to his servants, this John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead and therefore these powers are not at, are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Her, sorry, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. I need to slow down because this is super important. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Okay, there's no seatbelts in the house, we made sure. 
John the Baptist was in prison questioning everything that he had ever done and if Jesus was even the one who he was supposed to be the forerunner for because he stood against civil authority and he called out sin. So John had the audacity to say to Herod, the marriage in which you're in is wrong. If we're supposed to be the pure bride of Christ, awaiting the king of kings, we can see a picture in John of what we're supposed to do. He stood against the debauchery of the day and spoke truth and he ended up with his head on a platter because of it. But he did it because it's the right thing to do all the time. He defined marriage according to what the scripture said, not what civil authority said. And he wasn't one sitting in the back saying, I'll let someone else speak that. It's okay that Pastor Rob says that, but I don't want to do that. And he spoke to Herod and he said, this woman that you're in a marriage with is not for real. It's your brother's wife. Now, my question was, did he not know that we're not supposed to speak up against civil authority? Did he not know we were just supposed to accept all the different letters of the alphabet and just say that that's truth now? Did he not figure that out? Like, wasn't he taught that in critical race theory and all that other stuff? But what he did was he took a righteous stand on truth, knowing the consequences because the word of the Lord and righteousness and true holiness is more important than caving to the whims of people who are mentally ill and have problems and need delivered and set free. They're demonically possessed and they need help. But what did that get him? Well, number one, he was martyred. You can read on down there. Verse 10, so he sent and had John beheaded in prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away his body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. There may be a time when you need to be prosecuted for your beliefs in the kingdom of God. There may be a time when life is going to get hard. And I'm just asking you today, would you examine yourself as Paul and John the Baptist? Would you examine yourself and make sure that you're working hard every single day not to be offended at man and not to be offended at God? Because when you're in, when you're in a situation that looks so dark and so dim, he's still a good dad. So John stood up for what was right. He led the way, and yet he still questioned. So are we allowed to question? We can. My question is, are we willing to accept the answer? You see, if you're not willing to accept the answer, then don't ask the question. 
because there's some responsibility that will come on you when you ask the question that you may not want to hold. So John said, should I say something to Herod? And there was a cost. So if John had to guard his heart from being offended at man and being offended at God, and Paul had to guard his heart from being offended at man and offended at God, I believe that we today sitting here have to examine our heart to see if we're offended at man and offended at God. Now for the last four weeks, we've talked about a lot of offenses you can have with men, and I hope that you've dealt with them. But there's offenses that we carry and I'm being strong and bold here. There's offenses that we carry toward God that we don't even understand. And there's one big one. There's one big one. I believe that one of the largest offenses that people in the church carry toward God comes from not understanding the curses of the Old Testament. So I want to I want to like dissect this for a few minutes. And then if any of this resonates with you, today is the day to lay down your offense with the Lord and pick up his love for you. So you say, what do you mean misunderstanding of the Old Testament law? I know this is not the fun part cuz we're going to talk about law, but I'm going to there is freedom in law. So when God gave the law, he gave the law to Moses and curses came from it. When God gave the law to Moses, wrath of heaven was revealed. When God gave the law, with the law came punishment from the law. Deuteronomy 28.1. Go with me. We're going to read it. It's black and white. Now it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I have commanded you today, that the love that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord. And then it goes into a bunch of blessings. All the way down to verse 15. If you love the Lord and you obey all of his commandments... All these blessings will be on you. So we have lots of people that read 1 through 15 and they're like, this is amazing. Yeah, they don't read 16. Sorry, they, they read 1 through 14. They don't read 15. 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statues. It said all there, by the way. All his commandments and his statutes, which I have commanded you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So if you break one jot or tittle of that law, the blessings disappear, the curses come on you. Boy, that was some pressure. That was some pressure. You know the problem? You're carrying that pressure in this house this morning. And you want God to move greatly and powerfully, but you're carrying the pressure of the Old Testament curses. Some of you in the house, I'm telling you, you're carrying the pressure of Old Testament curses because I believe that there's more churches that are innocently, hear my word, innocently living more under the Old Testament law than they are under New Testament grace. 
they stand on New Testament grace principles, but they're actually living bound by the law, and so they can't step into the fullness of what God has for them. Because you see that when you're under the law and then you meet Jesus, if you just meet him and you don't accept what he's paid for, then you're still under the curse of the law. And so we have people that have met Jesus, but they haven't accepted what he paid for. They talk about it. We proclaim it. But then we see people go out and do street ministry, and I'm not against it. I did it in Buffalo this week. We go out and do street ministry. And then people come and they get fed and they, get, they meet Jesus maybe, but then their life doesn't change. Why? Because we gave them Jesus with some Old Testament law. We didn't give them Jesus with all the grace and freedom that he paid for because then we would see a whole different thing. And so we have to, it says, by your fruit, they shall know you. If your fruit is that you're in poverty and that you're living a, a life of craziness, but you love Jesus, you may love him, but you may not have accepted what he paid for. So when your experience doesn't match up with the scripture, you have to go back to him and ask him to change it. So most innocently, people innocently, majority of people are living under the curse of the Old Testament law and they don't even know it. So we have to get revelation of the cross. We have to get revelation of the grace that comes through Jesus. We actually have to know what he paid for. Because here's what happens. If you are living under the Old Testament law, even though exactly what I said, you know, you know Jesus, but you haven't accepted everything that he said, and you believe that God put cancer on your spouse to teach them something. Now, you're, I, I heard chuckles all over the room. You can laugh all you want. There are people in this room that believe this. I'm telling you right now, and God wants you to be free this morning, that he put sickness on you to teach you something. And then you learn your lesson and the person is not healed, there is an offense with God. I'm telling you, there is, there is an offense, a, a great opportunity for you to be offended at God because the thing that you said didn't happen. And so some people are offended with God because things have happened to them and they weren't living in New Testament truth of Jesus. They were living knowing Jesus, but with their feet in the law. And so they got offended with God and in their offense with God, they become improductive in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm, I grew up Baptist and I understand the law. And I'm not, I'm not being, like, I, I understand. I, I studied it. I, I know, I know what it can do. But you see, I always thought that it was my sin that worked the law in my life. Whenever I committed sin, I encountered the law. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. Romans 4.15. I wasn't gonna go here, but somebody needs this. Romans 4.15. Let's go to 14. For if those who are 
of the law are errors. Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. I thought it was my sin that brought about God's wrath. No, it was the law that unleashed it upon the world. So my question to the Lord, and I'm just, this is just what I talked to the Lord this week, so you're getting an inside picture of how I think sometimes. So I said to the Lord, great, so if the law is everything that I think it was, why didn't Adam have it? Why didn't Moses have it in the beginning? Noah, Enoch, why didn't they have it? Why did it take God so long to put the law on the earth? Because he knew that when the law came, it released his wrath. And that's not his heart for you. He didn't put something on you to teach you a lesson. He didn't give you something to change who you are. He didn't take your spouse. He didn't take your family member. He didn't do all that to teach you something because your family had a sinful past. He didn't do any of that. The only reason why he brought the law was because he had to. But then he brought Jesus. And turn with me to Galatians 3, 13 and 14. This is the revelation that unlocks you from the curse of the law. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus did it all. But here's what I know. That even though Jesus did it all, and we can claim it, we can name it, we can do all that stuff, if we don't actually receive what he did, our feet are still in the Old Testament law. And our mind is bound. God did not want to pour out wrath but he had to have righteousness. And he wants us to acknowledge him. The law works his wrath, not the cross. The cross was the final culmination of his wrath, not some disease that's on you. That's not of him in any case. He's not that guy. And so this morning, I, I feel this unction of the Holy Spirit that even if you know who Jesus is, that it's time this morning to examine ourselves. Are we offended at him? Are we offended at God for something that some religious person a long time ago told us, are, are we offended in any way at the Lord? Because one thing I know is, and I've seen it in the, in the years that I've been here at this church, when people get offended, they don't come back in the door. 
Why? Well, it's hard to be around somebody you're offended with. And so we've talked for the last two and a half years about the presence of the Lord in this place, that there's this, this weighty presence. The glory of the Lord is here. And when people get offended at the pastor, or at the church, or we didn't do things the way they wanted to, whatever, they, they don't come back because it's hard to be in the presence of the person in which you're offended. And so I have to do this assessment as your leader. We have six things that we talk about at the summit, our summit six. The first one is reading your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. The next one is Holy Spirit encounters. And the third one is healthy relationships. Those are the first three steps in the discipleship process of the summit. Now, here's what I can tell you. Every meeting that I have, I ask those questions in some form. And whether you're dealing with a marriage problem, an emotional problem, whatever it is, and I ask the question, are you reading your Bible every day? It determines the outcome of the conversation because if you're not in the Word every day, then there's something between you and Jesus. We've all gone through it. There's some days that I wake up and I'm like, I'm just like, but you know what? That's something I have to ask the Lord. What lie am I believing that would keep me out of your word? You want to talk to me all the time. So I'm going to do a little assessment here and say, if you don't want to be in the presence of the Lord, if you don't want to hear his voice, if you don't want him to change you, then I ask you this morning, would you examine your heart for an offense with him? Maybe it came from 20 years ago. Maybe it came from two minutes ago. I don't know. But if you're offended at God this morning, this is the one thing. When I sat with the Lord this week and I said, give me the one thing that will break open this place for revival. The one thing that will break it open. And he said, if the church is offended with me, it will never be productive. So would you stand with me this morning? His desire is for a church that is so in love with him that you want to come in this place all week long. You want to sit in your quiet space in your house. You want to be with him. If that's not your, if that's not where you're at, I'm asking you this morning, would you examine your heart? Would you examine your heart this morning? He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you just, this, make an altar where you are. One thing I know, everywhere in scripture, when people brought a sacrifice, the Lord sent fire to consume it. So I'm asking you this morning, would you just take a minute as they play Would you just take a minute and examine your heart and ask the Lord, is there anywhere that I'm offended with you? Some of you came up for healing this morning. And you'll see a transformation in your body, and I believe that 100%. But did you know that you could come up and get delivered from stage four cancer and die in a year from stage four cancer? But you were miraculously healed at the altar, and then you go back home and you things aren't connecting. Why? Because there's something in there. And people can, 
I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying, until we get a revelation of who Jesus really is and we want to be with him, the future doesn't change. And if you came up this morning and you said, I didn't feel a change, I'm going to ask you one question. I've got a whole teaching on this, but I want to ask you one question. If you don't see the manifestation of your healing, I would ask you to go back to the Lord and ask your motive. Because so many people live in sickness and disease decade after decade after decade. To actually receive an instant healing is offensive to them. That went right through the room. Somebody receive that, please. That went right through the room. Because now my life has to change. My friends have to change. The way I think about God has to change. It all has to change because now I'm not sick anymore. And they don't receive full healing because they are okay with their life the way it is and it's comfortable. So I just encourage you this morning to hold all that before the Lord. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. Oh, thank you, Lord. Caitlin's gonna sing and in this moment, don't move around. You can leave your offering in the back. If you have to leave, you can leave your prayer requests in the back. We'll take care of it. But in this moment, this is a consecrated moment. The Lord said, there are people that are offended with me and I can't go any further until we deal with it. So that's this moment. Don't wait for another. He wants you this morning. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.